live. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Overtime. I don't think we actually did mic check, but it looks like everything's working. But we are glad that you are joining us. What Overtime is is basically our weekly podcast where we do a deeper dive into the weekend message. Um, this is actually week number 50. So 50, we are over the 50. hill. Thanks, producer Christian, for letting us know. Yeah, so 50 weeks. Uh, that means in two years we'll or two weeks we'll have been, have been doing this for a full year. So Every single week. Every week. Like even Christmas. Look week. over your shoulder and overtime will be there. Yeah. So thanks for joining us. We hope that you get a lot out of this. We hope that you are encouraged to grow in your spiritual growth. As usual, one of the things that we want to do is highlight a couple things that are happening. Um, and speaking about spiritual growth, one of the things that we want to let you know as we record this, if you're listening to this live, it is September 29th. On September 30th, which is a Wednesday night at 6.30, we are actually going to be doing, doing another online virtual class here for what we call COW. It stands for Connect on Wednesday. Obviously, since the pandemic, that's changed a little bit, so we're doing it online. If you are interested in being part of that, it's, uh, I want to make sure that I get this right. So it's basically a class on nurturing your spiritual health. It's going to be taught by Gary Artizoni, our discipleship pastor here. Um, that'll start at 6.30, starting tomorrow, September 30th. If you're interested in being a part of that, all you got to do is email Gary at clcfamily.church, and he'll send you the Zoom invite so that you can be a part of that. Um, but we'd love to have you join us for that, or and or join us for a weekend service. So this is our third or fourth week this coming uh, Sunday where we are doing drive-in service in person in the sanctuary as well as online all at nine o'clock. If you wanna be part of the in-person service here inside the sanctuary, you just have to RSVP by going to our sign-up page and you'll be able to sign up there. It's one of the, the sign-up links on clcfamily.church slash sign up. You'll find it there. So I think that's all the announcements that we have I fell coming asleep. up. I just fell asleep. I know it. Like I, I feel like that was pretty quick. Though. I was that just was, like, oh. That was two minutes. I think last week noise. was three minutes. All those so. words. So many words. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> so that is kind of where you, we're you at. You shouldn't talk with your wife that way, Ben. <laughs> See what I did there? She, she knows I wasn't <laughs> talking to her. She's going to listen to this and she's going to know. Anyway, uh, this week sure we, she's going to listen. She does listen, oh, actually. She goes to work and she listens to this. She, oh. She, oh, she's probably job, one of the Hope. consistent viewers. Thank you. It's also because I tell her she has to. Just kidding. She oh, doesn't listen to me. Anyway, uh, let's jump into this. This week we were on week 11. Um, we are on chapter three. We finally made it into chapter three yes. in 11 weeks. So do you want to kind of give us a, a recap of what we talked about over the weekend? Oh, yeah. So uh, chapter uh, three, finally begin it. So the whole idea of what we got going on the Gospel of Luke is he writes it so that we have certainty about the things we've been taught. What we've been taught about is Jesus. Um, so when Luke writes this, he's compiling all sorts of really, really good evidence and information and data from eyewitness accounts to... Uh, oral uh, statements uh, uh, from oral tradition, and then also all the written documents. So he read Matthew and uh, Mark and kind of put it all together so that we could trust whether or not we believe Jesus to be who he says he is, right? Really, really important. We're 2,000 years later, and still what we're trying to do is we want every single man, woman, and, and child in our community to either be able to accept or reject the claims of Jesus, right? right? we got to make sure they hear Jesus' claims. Not ours, about Jesus, but Jesus' claims. So Luke's going to help us understand Jesus' claims. In fact, there's 1,151 verses. He writes 568 of those are specifically Jesus' claims, the things that he says. So we're just kind of going through slowly. But the whole idea of the Gospel of Luke is Luke is taking all the promises, right? All the promises of the Old Testament, 39 books, all the things that God said he would do, right? The word of God went to a person. That person made the declarations, either in written form or spoken form, most of the time both, written or spoken then written form and he made all kind of got all the promises so kind of the whole old testament is hey is god ever going to love us is he ever going to fix things if he's real why does he seem so distant and what god continued to tell people still continues to tell them is that one day he will make all things right and so there's a promise that kind of goes forth and so whole old testament is about the promise new testament then is about the fulfillment of the promise. So think about the Old Testament promises, lots of them, lots of them, lots of them. In fact, 220 times in the Old Testament, it says that God spoke a word to a person who then declared those promises and that stuff out, right? So the New Testament would be the fulfillment of all those promises. And the way that all the promises are fulfilled is actually in 
Jesus, not in some, you know, miraculous moment, not in some supernatural event, not in some, you know, some kind of natural moment of all that's going on around us in an actual person, Jesus. So Luke is writing this to help us have confidence that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has promised. And so we looked at two weeks ago is this idea that Jesus is always preparing us for what he has prepared for us and what he has prepared for us is really really good. So when Luke introduces Jesus, he's going to help us see that God is preparing something pretty spectacular through Jesus. And so he's preparing us for what he has prepared for us. What he has prepared for us is good. And finally, this way we go, okay, what is it that he's prepared for us? Mm. And we learned and got introduced and relearned and reheard and were reminded of the the word of salvation, right? right? That salvation is what God has prepared for us. That literally means to be delivered, right? So if we're in this like no man's land of being lost in the mail and going, how do we get where we're supposed to go? Is there an actual destination? Yes, there is. Well, how do we get to that destination? You can't, but there is a deliverer. His name is Jesus. So what he has prepared for us is he's going to deliver us into this fulfillment of life, not just for now, but for all eternity. And the way by which Luke is going to introduce us to that fulfillment, that salvation, that deliverer, is the same way the Old Testament used promises. And so, yeah. in the very beginning of Luke chapter 1, he introduced us to this old couple, Mary, I mean Elizabeth and Zechariah. They had this boy named uh, John the Baptist, really, really important, because one of the promises of the Old Testament they were asking us, how would we know that the deliverer, the Savior, is going to show up? That there's going to be salvation available to us. He goes, aha, here's what's going to happen. God is going to send a forerunner, a trumpeter of sorts, that's going to come and declare. In fact, Isaiah 40 says he's going to prepare the way of the Lord, make straight pasture, remove every mountaintop, fill in every valley, make every crooked path straight, so that people can see the deliverer, God's salvation, Jesus, right? And so Luke introduces us to this little baby who's eventually going to grow up one day and be that man who speaks the fulfillment out. And so he brings us back in Luke chapter 3 after the pageantry of being born, angel shepherds, baby being born, Messiah, you know, everybody breaks out in songs. And all of a sudden we get to Luke chapter 3 and Luke is going to pivot back, pan the scene back to this guy named John, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, who is going to be the one who's going to point, who's going to point everybody to where salvation comes from. What I love about this passage is gives us some real clarity of what I would argue is prescriptive of yeah. what is our part in it, right? We're John. We're not Jesus, right? Yeah. We're And the interesting thing about John's name, it means gift from God. You're a gift from God, but you're not the greatest gift. You point to the greatest gift, mm -hmm. which is Jesus. And so John is you now going to declare to people. Word's going to go out through his mouth out to the people that there is a plan, right? One of the things that John said over and over again is repent for the kingdom of God is near. So we looked at what is John calling people to do? What is he calling us to do? What's he inviting us into? And there's something about the way that we have to repent because the kingdom of God is near. And so looked at what salvation is. How do we get access to salvation? And the way you do it is through repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And uh, so we looked very deeply in, okay, what's our part as a church? How do we make it simple for people to get to Jesus and one another? And we understand deeply, and we'll be working through this for the next five or six weeks, is that the way by which we participate in the, the coming kingdom of God is through repentance, which is at its base level, not some behavioral change. It's a thought change, right? Mm. So eventually it changes your behavior, right? But it starts with your thoughts, that your thoughts determine your beliefs. We know this, yeah. that our beliefs determine our feelings, right? And your feelings, all those things determine your actions, right? And so we're going to see that what John the Baptist is declaring is you got to change the way you think so that you will get to participate in the kingdom of God. And the way you get to participate is by removing all the things that stay in the way of people seeing Jesus, which is why I told you starting next week, we will really work on repentance as a church and as a nation as we sort through. Maybe we should change the way we think about our nation, about politics, about the hope that we put into politicians yeah. and Supreme Court justices and begin to think that maybe, maybe, maybe we could change the way we think and start thinking about Jesus as the solution to those things. And mm -hmm. then as a result of all those thoughts changing, see where our actions can then move to participating in this coming kingdom. Mm -hmm. So big idea is Jesus has really great things prepared for us. What he has prepared for you and I in our world is salvation mm -hmm. to deliver us back into the coming kingdom. And so we get to participate in that. But the way you start is by changing the way you think. And I imagine we'll spend some time today talking about yeah. how we do such a thing. I would like to get to yeah. that. One of the things that I was just curious, and, and it seems to be a theme throughout this uh, this Luke series so far is that you've kind of used keywords, right? Yeah. Like you even just talked through a lot of the yeah. keywords. And if you watch the message online, 
um, yeah. you'll see that you're putting them up on like a felt board yeah. and kind of like listing them out there. Uh, I guess just on a curiosity level, like is that for our benefit? Like is that just a visual aid? Like what's the thought behind literally the words that you're using? Because each week it doesn't seem like, okay, you have to remember all of these. It's not like yeah. here's your points. Yeah. But you're going, hey, here's just kind of things that I'm highlighting. Yeah, so I, I'm – I think I might be difficult to follow sometimes. I talk fast. Uh, my cadence might be a little weird. And I use the word and a lot because I want to connect all the all the dots between it. And so there's a couple things. One is uh, uh, you'll notice this when I teach that there are times I talk really, really fast. Yeah. And it's because what I'm talking about is not as important as the things that I talk slow. What I'm working right. on now is when I talk slow, I also, like, get a lot calmer. And now you like, because I want you to lean in. But... You know, like my volume goes, you know, down yeah. 50 decibels. And so part of it is just, you know, there's different ways that people learn. And not everybody learns auditorily, which is weird to me because right. that's how I learn everything. Like, I don't, okay. I like, I, I mean, like, I, I'll read or I'll listen to a book and that's just how I contain things and, you know, process things. But not everyone does that. Yeah, and I'm I, a visual learner. Yeah, I do. So some of that is going, I just want to, there's two pieces. One, I want to, I want you to see it. I want you to see it. And I want you to, it to stay there. So I want it to be available to you the rest of the time. Okay. Right? So if you need to, you know, get off the track for a little while and think about repentance and then come back, what's just okay. there? So there's okay. that piece. So I want you to be able to see it. And the other one is just to slow me down a little okay. bit. So just go, okay, let me just get this up on the board okay. so that for just a moment, it just it slows things down a little bit to, to kind of re-engage where we are. And okay. um, I would say, I think Luke is a wordsmith. Yeah, right. So the reason we've chose the English Standard Version as the translation we've been walking through this is because it's a literal word-for-word -word translation, right? And so Luke is very intentional with his words. Yeah. And so if he's going to be really intentional with his words, all these words do matter. All 1,151 of them that he writes all matter. And we'll see it very specifically in the 568 times he or words that he quotes from Jesus or verses he quotes from Jesus that all those words matter. So it just makes yeah. sense that we don't just kind of gloss over that just to get the big idea we actually go there's actual words that matter in yeah. this and you know this we know this that words do matter the one who says sticks and stones and break my bones are words never have never hurt me is a, is a liar yeah so that's a pretty significant word but that's what he or she is she's a he's a he's a liar because you can think of moments in your life i can think of moments in my life where someone spoke a word and it just did so much damage to our yeah. soul or someone spoke a word and it uplifted our soul and so it just makes sense that we would Hold each of these words because here's what it says. Really, really important here. The word of God came to John. Yeah. So there's something about this. The word of God is coming out to John. The word of God is being, the Holy Spirit has given these words to Luke. So the word, these are, the, these are my words. Right, right. These are God's words. So it makes sense that we see them and consume them and chew on them and understand them and apply them. And so yeah. um, that's why this theory has been one to really, really, lean into each of those words, lots of words, but yeah, I, I think as a visual learner, I appreciate it. Like in what I find myself no. each week is kind of leaning towards those words. Yeah. Like, especially as I'm kind of thinking through, okay, yeah. what are we going to talk about discussion? Yeah. Like I find myself gravitating towards yeah. those words. Um, so as we do get into it, kind of talking about how Luke is so detailed, he's a wordsmith. Um, you were saying that chapters one and two cover about 30 years of of yeah. Jesus' yeah. life, right? Like yeah. the first 30 years, 30, two chapters. 28 to 32, probably right on 30, yep. Okay, and then we get to chapter 3. And uh, and what we do is what you were talking about in here is that there is a lot of detail. Like, and you talk about citations or footnotes. Yeah. This, this is kind of the reference. And what Luke does is he references both kind of the, the leaders of the time, yep. the rulers, but then also, uh, I think it's verse 2, um, then he also talks about kind of the religious leaders. Yeah, so you got political time. and religious. Yeah. So I just was one curious, you know, if there's anything more that you want to talk to the, the fact that, you know, chapters one and two, 30 years, but then also the significance, because you did take some time on Sunday to kind of talk through, hey, there is a point where our, our, our walk with Jesus Christ and politics do intersect. And yeah. that kind of sets up the next series. So I didn't know if there was more that you wanted to talk to on any of those those points. Yeah, so we start a new series this week, yeah. our new campaign, maybe a better term, especially as we think about politically campaign. Um, but it's the same, really. It's just got a little different skin on yeah. top of it. So it literally is the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 12. I mean, the, but it's also Jesus for President Week 1. We're just going through uh, the rest of J Chapter 3 and 4. Maybe a small little, I think a little bit of a brief glimpse, just the first few verses of chapter 5, when okay. Jesus 
finally calls his disciples to this, right? Okay. So what you see in chapters three and four are kind of the, the setting up of this this new this new way. Like so you can see it as Jesus is campaigning. He's getting everything and he's about to call people to their votes. Matthew Mark and or Matthew and Luke. Hey I mean I'm sorry, uh, James and John, Peter, you know, Andrew, Matthew as well, and Mark. Not Mark, sorry. Um, he's gonna call them to Sorry about that. That was weird. Huh? <laughs> follow to follow him, right? So you got this moment where Jesus is actually setting up this, yeah, this new party, yeah, and so just worked out perfectly. I mean, I, for those of you, I'm glad you joined this and again get a little bit more of an inside scoop on this. Uh, back in May, I felt really hard pressed to go. People have a lot of uncertainty in their life. They don't know what is true. There's very few things that we know. We're not even no confident in the websites, the fact finder websites, if even they right. present the truth. And so we just don't have a lot of truth. So it felt like God has just been very clear to us in the scriptures that truth is not an idea, it's a person, right? John chapter 14, verse 6. Truth is a person. And so felt really um, strongly that we should make sure and teach that that yeah. Jesus is truth and so kind of charted out through that I mean honestly I can't tell you how many months it's, or years it's going to be I think a couple of years because I haven't gotten to the end yet and yeah. so so that was all planned and then about I guess a month ago six weeks ago I was going hey guys with this political landscape coming up and right. when I'm looking at the scriptures it sure seems like what you see in the political parties and what you're seeing kind of established prior to the election is kind of what Jesus is doing in this, so it just makes sense. And we wrestle through, is Jesus for president? Is it offensive? Is it not offensive? Are people going to misunderstand it? And, you know, there's always those concerns. But it just felt like it was really important to go, Jesus is a person who is God, and he stepped into a regime, both a religious regime and a political regime, and both sides had some real expectations of him. Yeah. And both sides were quite concerned that he was going to overthrow their regime, both the religious and political, and he gets murdered for it. Mm-hmm. And the folks who were at the highest level of the um, premeditation of killing Jesus had footings in both political and religious. Right. They, right. So they didn't like what he came to establish. And you look in 2020 and... Boy, there's a lot of there's a lot of vitriol right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to get political right now, but even the the discussions of uh, the the newest Supreme Court justice nominee, right. uh, Amy Comey Bear or ACB or whatever her name is there, and there's all sorts of shots because she's a believer and follower of Jesus, and they're calling her crazy for believing that there's like this ordained way by which a marriage and a mar- family is kind of created, and so. There's a lot of vitriol coming at that. And again, I'm not, please hear me. I'm not staking my flag in the in the red state or the blue state. It's just there's just a lot going on there. And there's just so much that Jesus calls us to that really does create some really messy lines for yeah, us as, right. as Christians. You know this. You know this because who you want to vote for or don't vote for, you're so torn. Yeah. Because on, the, on neither side are you going, this is the person that represents my faith. Right. And this is the person that represents what I believe about Christ. And so you're having to struggle through what does this mean? And so it just makes sense that we would sit down and talk about that and see that Luke was actually going, hey, hey, in this world, there is political expectations and there are religious expectations in an outsider. John the Baptist kind of shows up and wasn't owned, wasn't uh, connected to either the religious power or the political power right, right. and he's coming to announce that there is a new kingdom a new way and so what a perfect time to really really think through this biblically see our worldview and see our role in all this which doesn't mean we get to abdicate or acquiesce it means we need the holy spirit to come live in us and participate in the same way john did in the way that jesus calls us to so i think that's a piece of going you got to see this like you got to see that these were very significant things in that time, right? Politics were very significant for these people. You know, they're, and yeah. uh, religion was very significant to these people. And what Jesus came to do actually disrupted both sides of that. So that's where I think you go, yeah, I really need that Luke's going to. Uh, sorry about this, you got something on here. Uh, I saw that, uh, that Luke is kind of identifying both the real um, influences 
yeah. of the day and go, yep, we still have them. What a great time to be able to walk through this. Today. Yeah, it just feels, I just appreciate it. One of the things that you had said was that the solution, you know, all along the solution was that Christ had sent the church. Like it's through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and us as the believers, the church, that we would be the, you know, I hate to say like agents of change because it sounds yeah. so yeah. like official, but that's really what we're called to be. We're called to be salt and light into a dark yeah. world, right? Yeah, so that's one of the misnomers. There's not that we get, like one of the things I'll say is Jesus is the solution. Yeah. But guess how Jesus established his solution from the beginning of time? He goes, I'm going to create marriage. I'm going to create family. I'm going to create all these institutions. They're going to get so messed up. Government's going to get so messed up. Empires are going to get so messed up. But then I'm going to send a new institution. Right. Brand new one. Brand new one. And they're going to be the ones that are called out. Called out. Right. They're going to be bonded together for a specific purpose. That's where we get the, the Greek word ecclesia, right? Yeah. And so what you see here is this is so crazy to think about that Jesus is the solution. But he actually empowers humans yeah. to go be the solution. So when you hear me that I say Jesus or the church empowered by Jesus is the hope of the world, what I want you to hear specifically is that piece of you are the church. Yeah. And the hope for this world right now is actually the Holy Spirit dwelling in yeah. us and leading us. And so that's why I think you if you if you have influence, you should participate with your influence. I pray and hope that God would have deeply committed Followers of him, empowered by the Holy Spirit in every office and in every part of our political environment in the U.S. Because the only solution to our problems is Jesus. And the way by which he's going to implement that solution, the medium, the modality that he's going to do is actually his people. So it seems really inefficient. Seems like, God, there could have been a different way. Seems like you could have just come and done that on your own and not gone through the complications of all this. But there's something about this that is so... um, compelling to go we actually can do something in 2020 within the state of our, our of our country and our world because the holy spirit's calling us individually yeah. to do those things yeah so i think that's what i sorry the last thing i'll say here yeah, is that's, there's a book called jesus skeptic and i think it's so neat to see like how god used agents of change like real christians who changed the way they thought and therefore changed what they believe changed their feelings and then changed their actions to the point where they did immeasurable amounts of good in our world from creating hospitals to creating health coverage to mm-hmm. taking care of orphans and widows. I mean, one of the guys you can kind of look at is William Wilberforce, this mm. this great, you know, political guy from the UK who, not single-handedly, but because of what the Holy Spirit did in his life, yeah. radically transformed the way that uh, England, uh, the United Kingdom, uh, viewed slavery right. and then had its bearings on what happened here in America. And so... God uses people to do really significant things in our country if we can allow Jesus to, to empower us to do that. And the yeah. way by which that starts is with repentance. Yeah. It's with repentance and forgiveness of sins. So, so I, I thought it was beautiful how Luke talks about what feels like he's talking about t- today. Like it, it's yeah. even though it's thousands of years ago, it feels like it fits exactly where we're at within our culture. Ah, and it's so beautiful. So I hope you love this about the scriptures. They're timeless yeah. and timely. They are timely. Like Jesus is stepping into a really broken culture where Jews had been neglected and yeah. like they had lost sight of all their world and they literally lost their language. They're yeah. now using Greek, you know, and because they, they, they and Aramaic because they lost their, their spoken language. Right. They were, they just were consumed and these religious leaders were allowing it to happen because with it, these political guys are giving them a lot more power and a lot more fame and a lot more influence. And so they're, they're literally diluting their whole commitment to the gospel in right. light of their, you know, or the religion to Judaism in light of what, you know, is being offered to them through the political regime. So it's like, that is so timely. Yeah. Right. So when you see that, Jesus tells us in Isaiah 53, uh, word of God goes out to Isaiah, we are, he was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and then by his stripes we are healed. Really interesting. I talk about a good bit about past tense versus present tense. So what that's really saying is something that happened in the past can be applied to our future, right? He was pierced for our transgressions. And Isaiah is saying that before it actually happened, but the thing that I really want to point out is it actually says, by his stripes we are healed. There's this present sense. And so what I want you to see here is this is the moment that this – this world, Jesus is stepping into it in the present. Like he's entering the timeline to bring healing and hope. And so that's what the gospel is kind of declaring here is Jesus is stepping in to bring healing and hope. Yeah. So still available to us in 2020. These words are just as applicable. And Jesus is still just as interesting in stepping in and applying his stripes and his bruises and his pain to bring healing to us in our world right now. Yeah. So verses 1 and 2, we see kind of the political side, the religious side. 
Verse 3, we get to John the Baptist mm -hmm. and, and what it says specifically about him. Um, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. In verse 3, and he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So those were several of the words, baptism, repentance, forgiveness, and sin. Yeah. Those are four of the words that you kind of touched base and talked about. Was there more that you wanted to do? kind of dive into um, for that time and that season? Oh, I wish I could. And yeah. I don't even know that I can do it justice here and want to be careful here. But so in order to understand this, we got to understand politically what was going on then, but then go back uh, hundreds and hundreds, thousands even of years. And uh, so prior to all this, uh, kind of when God established a kingdom, yep. the nation of Israel, right? He established them. So God creates marriage, God creates family, and then he creates a nation, right? So you see all these, these are institutions. And what we see is marriage, family, and nations are very corrupted from literally a weekend. And we understand that one day God's going to solve that through the church. That's it. That's his plan. So um, one of the things that is happening for particularly people who, the Jews, who kept making bad decisions and making themselves oppressed, right? They get in bondage and slavery. As you kind of look through the, uh, the story of when the nation of Israel finally gets to their promised land, mm -hmm. right? So Joshua leads them in the promised land. They saw Joshua was this great warrior king, this deliverer. Yeah. That's why it's so interesting that Jesus' name is Yeshua because, yeah. you know, the Hebrew, Jesus, Greek, Hebrew, Yeshua, because it points to this great warrior king, this great political leader, right? And yeah. he leads them to the place. Once he dies, things just go downhill. That's the book of Judges. You can go back and listen and uh, uh, to in January of this past year of that series, right? Over and over again, what happens is they go, God, God, save us. God would send them some kind of judge who would free them from it. And then all of a sudden they would get, you know, fat and happy and lazy and say, we got it from here. And just this cyclical pattern of sin came happening. And so that goes on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now we skip ahead to uh, turn of the first century. So 2000 years ago, and all of a sudden what's just happened is God, you know, 30 years earlier has shown up to Mary and says, hey, you're going to name him Jesus. You're going to name him Yeshua because he's going to save the people. But what's so interesting, this would have been astonishing to the people who heard it when he said he's going to save them from their sins, yeah. not from their nation, not from their political regime. He actually establishes the greatest thing that they're going to need for salvation is actually salvation from their sin. So that's that's new. From the Old Testament, they didn't really understand it. They thought they'd get a political leader, a religious leader right. that would establish their nation again, reestablish their nation, which is what many of us want, reestablish the nation. God's going, no, no, no. At the greatest level, what Jesus came to do was not to go establish, save our nation, but to establish new Residents in a new nation within us. So it says save them from their sins. And so that that is a kind of a murky word that people don't really like to use. It sounds offensive, like you're a sinner. You know, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I don't say that. And so that's why I really wish I could have spent more time talking about kind of the idea of what sin was and, and kind of the understanding of the language. And it was like literally a forfeiture of your rights or your property. Okay. Right? So it that's why I love the idea of explaining it like as a foreclosure. You had this place. You didn't do what you're – you have the home. You have the land. You didn't do what you're supposed to. Instead, you leverage that land for the – you leverage your present for the future. You, you know, went to debt, all these kind of things. And then you – didn't keep the promises that you said you would. And then all of a sudden, as a result of not paying it and that life happening, whatever, what happens is what you, was rightfully yours gets taken away from you legally. Yeah. And so when we think about sin and that, it literally is the process by which you are relinquishing your rights, relinquishing. So literally, it literally means properly no share, right? You get no part of. That's what sin is. No part of. So now all of a sudden you understand that legally, and you long for this, and... You have it in your soul that legally you understand you don't have access to the things you want to have access to, but it feels so unfair and unjust because like some in our psyche we believe we should have access to it. And the reason is, is at one point we did. So what sin does in the garden is God goes, you get to live with me. You get to be with me. As long as you keep your commitment of following the rules, right? As long as you do what is asked of you, you have perfect inheritance of this kingdom. You pay your mortgage, those kind of things. And then Adam and Eve goes, nope, we'd like our plan better than yours. In other words, they go, we're not going to follow your rules or your contract. And God goes, okay, then I'll take it back. Yeah. So what feels like should be available to us, access to God, access to his kingdom, feels like it. We, in our soul, know that we don't have the access we really want, but long for it. And the word there that describes that so perfectly, what you have going on in your heart and soul, that we don't like to use is the word sin. Meaning what you feel like you should properly have access to, 
you don't have anymore. So that's what sin is. Sin is the forfeiture of the right to be connected to God in his kingdom. But there's still this longing to be connected to God in his kingdom. You still want the house. You still long for the days of old, the days you've never even experienced, but think that you should be able to, right? And so when we hear the word sin, we don't we think about it typically in terms of commission. You looked at that, said that, did that, or omission. We didn't follow God's rules. Or we didn't do what God asked us to. But it's not just a it's not a verb. It's a it's a state. It's a it's a noun. It's a state of being. So when it says the forgiveness of sins, their state of being, here's the word, homeless. Okay. So when John the Baptist, who is homeless, is declaring to a bunch of people who feel homeless because they don't align with the religious regime, they don't align with the political regime, which is, by the way, what a lot of us are struggling with right now. Well, I don't fully align with Republicans. I don't fully align with Democrats. I don't fully align with uh, Libertarians. I just feel like a creature without a home, right? All of us, all of us are there, right? And so regardless of your your leaning, it, it hasn't been established, right? Like, if you're a Democrat, you're not thrilled that it's Joe Biden, but you go, what else do I do, right? If you're a Republican, you're going, I wish you were Donald Trump, but what else do I do, right? And so there's just this homeless feeling. And so what John the Baptist is, what is declaring, what Luke has helped us understand is these are folks who long for a home and a place to be, and yet they can't do it because they can't pay the price. They can't pay back what needs to be paid to be able to get the house back, right? It's like, we understand what loan forgiveness is, yeah. right? So the house has been taken away. We are now homeless, and we can't afford to get it back. And so the only solution would be that that debt would be forgiven on yeah. our behalf. So what John the Baptist is showing here, what Luke is declaring for us, is that there's going to be a repentance uh, for the forgiveness of sin. So there is this r- r- way we have to think about this that is so distinctly different than how we've always thought about it. And the way you and I have always thought about it is, it's either up to me to do it or it's up to someone else in this world to fix it. But those people keep not fixing it, and I know I can't fix it. So what is the other option? And so what John the Baptist is going to kind of point right to him and go, you really want forgiveness that you long for? You really don't want to be homeless? You really want to have land back in the kingdom of God? There is only one way to get it, and it's through forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So we see the problem, sin. We see the solution, forgiveness. We see the medium by which forgiveness happens, which is repentance. Right, so problem sin, solution is forgiveness of those sins. Right, the the our response is repentance. It only it starts with a change of what we think, and then we see so problem solution, you know, and then we see the demonstration of that, which is what baptism was. It was people yeah. acknowledging that they couldn't earn the right back to God. Hmm. They couldn't do that, but they under. I mean, pe- most of these people here, are devastated by life, and they're going, "I just need hope," and so they're showing hmm. up, and they putting their hope in this moment, but they don't really understand fully what they're putting hope in. So John the yeah. Baptist is baptizing them. They're coming up and really hopeful about the future, but they're like, oh, what's next? Yeah, I feel like that yeah. was my question because it's it's almost like this is the prep route, pep rally, yeah. right? Yeah. Like they're getting all excited and they're going, okay, now what? Like, and Jesus is to come, or maybe maybe John the Baptist kind of like the hype man, he, you know, he's the, he's the guy that starts the show and it then goes to the headliner, which is yeah. Jesus. Like, so even that, I just, I feel like I wonder what that group of people were getting so excited and then not knowing what the next step is. Yeah. So, I mean, even Jesus, you see it later is that John came to baptize with water, but I came to baptize yeah. with the spirit. So that is actually what happens in even our religious world, right? You pray the prayer, dear Jesus, come into my life, lead me, forgive me my sins. And you're like, yes, that's it, right? You get the baptism. It it, it shows something, right? It shows this moment of, okay, old me's dead. So what they saw here and what was happening with the water was it just was a declaration of a fresh start. Yeah. So some of you know this, and I'm not going to judge you too much, and I don't want you to feel pain in this. But many of you have had a lifelong issue with credit card debt, right? You've settled it. You've done those things. And you've promised that you would never get another credit card because you just continue to to mess that up, right? You continue to uh, leverage your future for your present and you keep getting strapped in that, right? A lot of bankruptcy happens. I know there's other reasons. So what this would have been like for the Jews is in that moment, it would have been like they tore up their last credit card Mm, statement. They're like, woohoo, debt free, right? Finally, which is what... But the problem is... All it meant is they just got handed another credit card, right. and they just 
we're going to start racking up the debt again. So it was right. a symbol at this point. Now it's different now. I mean, it was a symbol of what was available to them, hmm. but it was just with water, right? It's yeah. just the thing. Yeah. So what we believe when we talk about baptism in our church, our communion, we don't call it just an ordinance, something you do. We call it a sacrament, right? right? And what we would say, and I think this is hardly true, there's something sacred happening. There's something beyond our understanding when we take communion, beyond just, oh, yep, here's an object lesson, or when we get baptized. There's something we can't quite understand or explain with the Spirit that just happened. It's the same way we pray. When we pray, it's not binary. It was this, now it's this. But there's something that we untap in that moment where the Holy Spirit is having its way. And so in baptism, post this, when Jesus models it, say, hey, there is this longing and this need for a fresh start. There is a checkpoint of that's when things changed, right? Yeah. That's when my mind, my thoughts change, and therefore my beliefs and my feelings, my actions change. Yeah. But just with water, yeah. just not going to do very much good. And so John the Baptist was helping people see that they needed a new life. But for a lot of them, they're going to be really disappointed because they're just going to start following John the Baptist around. Right. Right. And eventually John's going to go, no, 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 go follow him. I can't fix you. You're going to keep coming back to me. I can't fix you. I am not in charge. I can't forgive you of your sins. Right. That's yeah. the really significant part of this is John had no, no rights within the kingdom of God spiritually to be able to offer people forgiveness personally because mm-hmm. he's not the one who's going to pay for it. So that it's a good first step. It's people getting excited. But still to this point, it's going to be hope deferred for yeah. them until they see Jesus and go and respond to Jesus. Yeah. Right? So the next part of that, yeah. and I think that for me, it, it connects and yeah. maybe I'm just, that's a stretch, but kind of the thoughts into the beliefs, feelings, mm-hmm. and actions. So your thoughts lead to what you believe, what you believe leads to how you yeah. feel, and how you feel leads to the actions that you do. So for this group of people that are kind of getting hype at the the pep rally, right? Yeah. Like they're going into it. Their thoughts are starting to change. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately what God wanted John the Baptist to do. Like, I guess that's a question in there, but also maybe more of a statement as I'm talking it out. So it was, John was preparing the way for Jesus. We know that from the verse, yeah. verses that we're going to read next, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is what what God the Father wanted for John the Baptist and his followers yeah. to prepare the way for Jesus, right? Yeah. So here's what I would say. I think it's really, really important. It does start with repentance, right? Yeah. But repentance is just, again, metanoia, the, the Greek word, literally means to have a change of mind. Yeah, right. So what I would say for these people coming to get baptized, they're on the first right step, which yeah. is they recognize there's a problem. Hmm. And they recognize that they're incapable of solving the problem. That's actually why AA really works. Yeah. Is the kind of the first step is acknowledging that you are powerless over a disease, mm-hmm. or you're powerless. Like, you don't know all the solutions yet. You haven't done all the steps, but you just finally have come to a conclusion that you can't fix the problem. Yeah. So what was happening here, which is such a good primer, okay, tells you who the political people are, tells you the religious. Then it highlights a person who is, you know, apolitical, a-religious, you know, this kind of guy in the middle. And so people who are looking for political hope, eventually came to the conclusion that nothing within the Roman Empire was going to fix their problems. Mm-hmm. People looking for religious hope, finally came to the conclusion that nothing was going to fix their spiritual ineptitude. They weren't going to be able to, right? And so they come to out in the wilderness. This is where the outcasts are. This is what's really important is. And this society, the people that are out there are the ones who didn't make it in real life, right? They're not, they have already come to the conclusion in life that they're not going to perform well enough to be welcomed back into the group, right? And so you have them out in the wilderness. And so the first step of repentance in this is just acknowledging that you can't fix the problem. Yeah. Right, which is the the first step of surrendering pride. Pride says I can fix it, I can solve it, I can push through it. So, this foundationally, what happens is, is John the Baptist is priming people for the forgiveness of their sins. First, is acknowledging sin, acknowledging that you're in a state that you don't long for, mm-hmm. that you don't like, and that you don't know how to get out of. Mm-hmm. That's all it is, right? So, sin is acknowledging that you don't have proper rights to the very thing you long for. Maybe you don't even know what that thing is yet, right? This is why I love what C.S. Lewis says. You know. If you find this, that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy you, yeah. then perhaps you're meant for a different world, right? right, right. So it starts with, can you acknowledge that nothing in this world can satisfy you? Yeah. That's the first step, right? In other words, there's something I long for, and I've tried to fill my need with whatever it is, but they have all left me wanting. Mm. So that's the first step, and this is going, I have to acknowledge, acknowledge, acknowledge. So that is a huge first step, because once you come to the conclusion that what you long for, what you hope for, what you're drawn to, you can't get access to. Yeah. So once you get there, then your next 
logical question. That's a thought. Change the way you think. I am not going to be happy based on this. This is not going to work. These, this politician is not going to fix it, right? Hear me. This politician is not going to fix it. Right? It's not. So first, can you come to the conclusion that 2020 election is not going to solve the problems of our world? That's just a state of being. And yet, can you acknowledge you long for there to be some hope and joy and peace available to all people, right? So that's the first step. It's just acknowledging that something's off and that you can't fix what's off. Yeah. That's the state. That's what sin is. That's all sin is. Yeah. That you, there's something off and you keep trying to fix it but can't. That's where you go. Perhaps there's a better option. Yeah, I feel like you know. that answers the question that yeah. I, I wrote down in my notes. Yeah. Like it, it really does. Okay, so what does this matter for us? So thoughts lead to beliefs, yeah. beliefs lead to feelings, feelings yeah. to actions. Yeah. For us, it's to understand this process, right? To understand yeah. what it is when we're helpless. Yeah. Like ultimately, that's what it's coming to the conclusion of. We understand why does this matter? Because we're helpless. We need a savior, yeah. right? So yeah, so you have to come to the conclusion that you need a savior, yeah. right? And so that would be... That's it. That's where your thoughts change. Now, what you do with this thought means a lot, right? Yeah. So when you acknowledge that you can't fix it, this is why religion is helpful and hurtful because it leads you to one of two places. First, pride. Man, I'm really good at this. I can do my religion really good until you can't. And then it leads you to a place of despair, right? Just, I'm not good at doing that. I get, you know, I'm no longer allowed to go to the group. My wife doesn't love me, whatever it is, right? And so what this does is it acknowledges that there is a problem that you cannot fix. Now, if you live in that world forever, eventually, if you don't see a solution for it, what will end up happening is you will go to a place of deep depression, right? right? Just deep depression. And so, inevitably what has to happen at some point is not only you have to acknowledge that you can't fix it, you have to acknowledge that you hope that there is a fix. And then you have to be open to the idea that God could be the solution for that. Yeah. Now that's what you're thinking about. Okay, God, I can't fix this, but that doesn't mean it's not fixable. That just means I need to lean in more to you. So thoughts, I can't fix this. Now a new thought is, but perhaps God can. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden you're looking at the world through, okay, what if what if God really can fix this? Okay, now I'm not just, I'm, every time I mess up, I'm going, yep, that's who I am. But now I have this belief that God can. So now I'm looking around and going, God, does that work? God can meet me here. God can make a way where there is no way, right? And so what happens in that is now all of a sudden your thoughts determine your beliefs. Now you, same circumstances, but now you're hopeful that there still is a possibility, either in this life or another life, right? Next life in, uh, you know, in heaven that things will get resolved. So thoughts, beliefs change the way you feel. No longer are you depressed. No longer are you angry, right? Yeah. And so as a result of that, what happens there, and now all of a sudden the way that you posture yourself towards your spouse, towards your kids, when you believe you can't fix it, they can't fix it either, but God can. Mm. Now all of a sudden the way that you respond, your actions are different as a result. So state of, first thing you have to do is acknowledge your current state of being yeah. and acknowledge that you can't fix it. Can So uh, let me just ask this yeah. question. Um, so can I or anybody arrive at that conclusion, arrive at that thought of like I need a savior in and of ourselves? Like if I think about it enough, do I, can I just arrive there like logically? Or is that something that the work of the Holy Spirit is doing and you arrive? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I just, cause as you're listening to this, you might have, I don't know, somebody in mind or a friend or you're like, you know, this, this would be really helpful for, for them. And maybe because you've sent 10 messages past yeah. and that person never comes to that thought. Like, yeah. I guess that's kind of what I'm thinking now of going, because what our desire would be for all men and yeah. women to come to know Christ and arrive at that thought. But is that something that we just think through and we can get to, or is that the Holy Spirit at work? So the way I would say it, and I don't like it, but I think it's true. Uh, people eventually finally come to Jesus through humility or humiliation. Yeah. I, those are only two paths I've been able to find, right? Through life is so terrible that you're just humiliated, you're embarrassed, you're hopeless, you're homeless, whatever it is, or through humility, which is seeing Jesus as Lord and the one in charge. Yeah. Humility is not thinking you're the boss, right? Yeah, right? And so can people position themselves there? Yes. Can you make someone position themselves? No. Mm -hmm. And yet, and yet, that's why this passage is so important. And so that's a really good question for what we see next is what we see next is I want to told you this week is we see the kind of the outcome, which is all yeah. mankind, verse six, all flesh, all mankind, all humans shall see the salvation of God. Yeah. So there is a way by which everybody can finally see this state and this hope, right? And it tells us how we can participate in that. And it says, yeah. prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him, remove every mountaintop, fill in every valley, make every crooked path straight yeah. so that all mankind can see God's salvation. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. 
preparing the way of the Lord doesn't mean you're shoving someone down a path. Yeah. Right. right? You're not dragging right. them down a path. You're not in their ear telling them what to do. The role that we get to play, this is so helpful to me in terms of understanding the church. All we can do is remove obstacles, yeah. right? We can't, we can't we can't fix something. We don't even know how, like, we can't solve the problem, but we can remove the obstacles. And the way, that's why we say at our church yeah. and why we really do want to spend a lot of time loving our neighbors well and our community well. It's because people return to the last place they felt loved. Yeah. So there's something really critical about this where the word permission is so important. And we understand this in other yeah. worlds. You don't like loitering. You don't like soliciting. You don't like those things. You you want the information you want because you've invited someone to share it. And yeah. so the, the role that we have to think about this is, is more permission to speak into something as, a, mm. uh, as opposed to declaring it. Right. That's yeah. why I don't think social media posts help anything. Uh, like in terms of telling people what they should think, how they feel, because until someone's ready to hear it, then they're, they're not going to listen anyway, right? Yeah. They're just going to shut it down. And the way that you know someone's ready to hear it, it's because they've invited you to share it, right? And so yeah. this gives us a lot of stuff that we can participate in and do in the meantime when you want to fix a problem. And your job is just to remove the obstacles, to represent Christ in a, in a healthy way where you trust him and you have experienced your life where he's come through for you and people see that and give credibility to you and you get to share that, right? And so it doesn't mean we just sit around and wait and wait, right? It just means we don't try to force someone to believe yeah. these things, understand things. We just figure out what the obstacles are. Are they yeah. hungry? Are they lonely? Are they, have they been so hurt and, you know, by pain of the past? Well, how do we care for them and listen to them as opposed to talk to them and declare things? And so I think, yes, can we help people get there? Absolutely. It's not that hard. You just remove the things that keep yeah. them from being able to see Jesus, yeah. right? And then when they see Jesus, that's the hope of that for yeah. transformation. So that's why this is so prescriptive to me is every single day yeah. and every single way, we are either removing obstacles or fortifying them, yeah. right? And everything and every interaction you're having with the, you know, the cashier, yeah. there is no neutral ground. Either you are building a relationship there, you're making eye contact with them. Not so often, like even this past Saturday, I pulled back up at 7-Eleven and one of the per people is asking me questions about my faith and what's going on. Hmm. Because for the last three years, I've shown up there and continued to build a relationship, not you know, enforced any of this stuff on them, but just this, we got to be in it for the long game of yeah. just feeling the burden of responsibility just to pick up obstacles that are in the way and get them out of the way so that hopefully they'll see Jesus and respond to him and understand his salvation. Yeah, I feel like four through six, obviously over the weekend yeah. you talked about the personal weight that it carries, yeah. but it's as a church and obviously as the primary vision caster of this church, that resonates with all of us. Yeah. Like that's something that we, man, we want to make it simple for people to connect to Absolutely. Jesus and to one another. And that's, that's yeah. why you see it on t-shirts. That's why you see it on yeah. banners. That's why you see it places because we, that is our goal is we can't make somebody come to Jesus, but we can remove the obstacles. And yeah, so that is, is, I mean, that is the complete mission of this yeah. place. I mean, and there's precedent for it. Like, and here's the thing I'd say. Yeah. Making it simple is really difficult. Right. Like, so yeah. one of the stories I always point out is the four guys who bring their paralytic friend to Jesus. And he sees their faith and forgives this guy of his sin, by the yeah. way. And so you see that. But they made it really simple for this guy. They carried him in. They knocked. They ripped a hole right. in the roof. Right. They lowered him down. But that was very, very complex. Yeah, Ang anxiety ridden. They're literally about to interrupt the, the, the you know, the, the, the leader of the free world, right. the savior of the world. And so it's not simple. So this isn't yeah. for us. It's not simple to make it simple. It's actually really, really complex. Yeah. But it's still the role we get to play, so that God can see our faith. Yeah. And forgive people for their sins, right? To yeah. to give them back the right, rightfully owned property back in the kingdom that God is going to make available to them through what Jesus did. And so yeah. that's one of the things we get to do right now in the middle of this political world is continue yeah. to make it simple for people to connect to Jesus, remove the obstacles, particularly for those people that you adamantly and wholeheartedly disagree with. Hmm. Because it's not about you fixing them or convincing them of something. It's about you just getting whatever's in the way so that one day they can see Jesus and all oh, that glorious day when they would finally get that salvation. Yeah. yeah. And to add to the point yeah. that you're making is that there was also a cost to that too, right? Like at the very least, if it wasn't for materials to repair the roof, yeah, somebody yeah. paid a cost. If it wasn't even for that, then it's the time, like the cost of time to repair the roof. Because yeah. imagine that somebody's living there, right? Yeah, like so yeah, you got you know, beat up, carrying this thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So there is a cost so, too, for sure. So point. as we continue in that, one of the things, uh, like uh, I, I found it very convicting to ask the question, okay, what is it that's in the way of my neighbor being able to see Jesus? And then yeah. the way that you kind of at, ended the, the entire message was 
Um, do we believe Jesus is the hope of the world? Do we really know and love him? Do we love people the way that he does? Yeah. Um, and what do we need to do for our children, for our neighbors, for our friends? Like, what do we need to do to remove those obstacles? Like, I didn't know if there was anything more that you wanted to touch on specifically on the areas of what you were talking about in that moment was comfort, security, control, yeah. and power. So let me talk about, yeah, so one of the interesting things is I've, I've taught this passage because I, I shared in the sermon. Yeah. Like, let's do it. Like, this is the one that woke me up for weeks. Yeah. This passage, like this is, this is my personal mission in life. Yeah. Like this has, this has been the most transformative passion, not into understanding the gospel that would be found in Romans for me, but on how I participate in it because I have a savior complex, right? I have a martyrdom complex. Like there's something in me that thinks that I got to solve problems, and I always have been that way. Mm. And so this actually isn't for me. It's not like this deep challenge to do more, right? It actually is alleviating the pressure mm-hmm. of not having to solve the problems I can't solve. I cannot forgive people for their sins, but I can remove the obstacles. So this one has been really compelling to me. And so I've always taught Luke 3, 1 through 6. And a lot of times I've even gone to the paralytic. In fact, yeah, right. I think the very first sermon, I, so. I taught on that and then brought it back to this, yeah. this passage. So the, the one that you voted on me to come here and judge me for and made the decision that you, you guys would welcome me here at the church was based on this, this kind of passage. Right. But never... In the history of 19 years of teaching uh, the Bible, or, or you know, professionally as you know, a paid pastor or whatever, right. um, never have I ever continued on 7 through 14. Yeah. So what you see here that's really, really important is right after he says this, that all mankind will see salvation. It's so interesting because you could think religious people are like, yeah, that person's going to be a Republican. Yeah, they're going to be a Democrat now. And finally, they're going to see it our way and they're going to get fixed. And he's not going to treat a spouse that way. Like all these things. He's going to tuck in his shirt, whatever those things are, right? Like the initial, you know, response for us is good. God is going to bring more people to our team. Right. And so like finally we'll have, you know, nine conservative Supreme Court justices. Right? <laughs> so you see all that and you would think – you know, you get this excitement that there'd be all mankind will see God's salvation. But the very next verse, so John has declared uh, what Isaiah declared 700 years earlier, and then he's going to offer his own commentary. Yeah. This is Isaiah, 700 years old. He's just reminding that. And now he's going to offer his own commentary, and he is looking at people in the wilderness, by the way, and calling them brood of vipers. Uh, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And so what he's going to do is he's going to call out the dirtiness of religion. Yeah. He's going to call it all out. And go, hey, you guys are actually creating more obstacles than you are removing them. And you're doing it. You're adding all this stuff to the gospel. It's so important to see in Acts chapter 15. And you see these moments where they come to the conclusion that we should not make it more difficult for people coming to faith. And you're going, you're the you're the problem here. Like you're hey, religious folks, not the irreligious, not the pagans you don't like. The fact that you've created so many rules and so many obstacles, you're actually the the brood of vipers, which mm. they would have understood to mean like the, the evil one, the serpent. Mm. Like this is deeply offensive. And so he says, you can't lean into your pedigree or your religion or whatever it is. So he even calls on Abraham's name, which would have been there like, yeah, he, we're these guys. Yeah, we're, we're right. They're wrong. And all of a sudden he calls them all out. And he literally tells them that if they don't produce fruit, yeah. that if they don't participate in this, he's they're in the way and he's going to be th- they're going to be thrown into the fire. Now, hear me. So uncomfortable. That's literal. Yeah. Hear me. Like, so I don't, oh, I wish I could talk for a while on this, and I hope this is the right audience. Look, I am, I think COVID is real. And I think the coronavirus is real, and I think it has real ramifications. And, but I also understand that, like, we, maybe we shouldn't talk about it all the time, but that is a real thing that we have to be aware of. And I get that. So we're all talking about this thing we're aware of, but you know what else is real is hell. Yeah. It it is. It is. That is that is the place where that is an eternal disconnection from God, which is where all our entire trajectory is going. If God doesn't forgive us of our sins and make us right with him, because we have no stake in God's kingdom. Yeah. Unless Jesus gives it back to us and we hear me receive that. So this is so significant here, God. That the, guys, that there is a like John the Baptist is telling them there is a deep repentance that has to happen here. A deep repentance where we acknowledge that we can't fix people, that we acknowledge that we have stood in the way. We acknowledge that we've been more concerned about our rights and our privileges than we have been about God's kingdom. So he initially calls that out. And then what I love is they hear that and they go, oh, what shall we do? And so he's going to go, 
Finally, and that's just say that's where you are. Like that's why I love this kind of pattern. Of the first thing that happens is conviction. Not me. Holy Spirit's telling you. Yes, there are real eternal ramifications for this. Not that you can save people, but boy, can you get in their way. And so that that conviction that conviction comes with a confession, right? That's that's the first step of uh, repentance. Is you feel that something's wrong, and then you acknowledge it's wrong, right? This is going. This is not the world I long for. Mm-hmm. This is this. I live in sin. So that conviction comes with a confession that God, I cannot fix this. I have been a problem, not a solution, right? And so that conviction turns into this confession that goes, Okay, God, what do you want? And this is where John, like, literally, he goes right at religious people in there. He's talking about the people who have more than they need, right? Two tunics. That doesn't seem like a lot, yeah. but two tunics. Like literally, this is so crazy for us. I'm not, I'm not preaching. I'm sorry. So, so <laughs> crazy for us is that if you had two of the same shirt, you're not getting rid of the second one for the most part because you're going, what happens if something happens to the first one, right? Yeah. Like, like everybody listening to this has more than one coat. Yeah. They have more than two coats, right? And so they have this this thing, and we're, the, this is like this is such an we live in such an extreme world that that sounds silly to us. Two tunics? No, no. Right. Why would I? I need three tunics. And he's going. Why do you have more? Well, it's simple. Because the more that I've given you has been a solution to removing the obstacles for other people. If they're cold. You can help warm them up. Give them a jacket. And love them, right? And so he's going to literally call out these things. that There is this conviction that should happen. And then there's this confession as a result. And then that's where repentance starts is in the confession. And then, and then the last piece, I love this, I love this as a result of sin. It's the restitution piece. Mm-hmm. It's this idea. Restitution means to, to make right. To make right. Like we get to participate in making our world right and make it where God can forgive people their sins, right? And so there is this role by which we get to play in each of those things. And so what... what Luke does here is he, or John the Baptist doesn't, Luke identifies, is that he kind of goes at these different people. So the first one's about the tunics. And what he's really hitting there, and, and this, we got this, right? It's about their comfort and secu- security, yeah. right? Which is, this is your God and my God yeah. too. It's comfort and security. It's, we don't want to have to depend on anyone or anything else for our livelihood. In other words, you want to be your own God. Mm-hmm. So comfort and security are at the highest level of idols for us and so luke or john the baptist is calling out if you have extra it's not for you to hold on for a rainy day because right now people all over this globe are having rainy days and he's given you some resources right this second to use those for other people's rainy days so what has god given you why is he giving it to you well the solution is to be a blessing to other people and so he hits comfort and uh, can, uh, safety and then talks to the tax collectors and yeah Tax collectors, they don't even need savings accounts because they can just walk up to any person and point and say, give me your money, right? right, like, right. And so they had a lot to control. They had, they, had, they had a lot of control. And so John Baptist and them going, hey, you're really not in control, right? Which I tell you over and over again, control is an illusion. And this is an absolute illusion. Like we, we think we're in control, but every day people all over our church are getting news yeah. That reminds them that they're absolutely not in control of the outcome of their life or the future and all those kind of things. And so he's going to go after what I think are really modern Western idols, yeah. comfort, security, sure. control. And then you see this other guy who the, he, he talks to these soldiers so who can yeah. really, really enforce whatever they want. And the reality is uh, we, what we're dealing with all over our world right now is about power, mm-hmm. right? Those who have it and those who don't and what people do when they have the power, right? That's really where racism is at its deepest level. Somebody has power, someone doesn't. The ones with power use it to, for personal gain over those who don't. And yeah. so and for many of us, what you see in this broken world is our longing for power. Mm. And so the question is, when you have the power, what do you do with it? Mm. Do you use it for your own gain? Or do you use it to fight for and remove obstacles for those who don't have it? And so he's literally giving us some real practical stuff going, hey, and it literally says this, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. And then he says, this is what you should do. Really, really important. Be content with your wages. And so if I had time, I would have wrapped up with this. I'm running out of time here too. But let me give you a really good definition of contentment. I think it's Stephen Furtick's. Contentment is if God hasn't given it to you yet, you don't need it. Now, I would add, and I think this is really important, the flip side of that then, if that's the definition of contentment, God hasn't given it to you yet, you don't need it. What I would say then wholeheartedly, if God has given it to you now, then he, then you need it, right? So if God hasn't given it to you, you don't need it. But if he's given it to you, then you need it. And what do you need it for? Hmm. To serve other people, to love other people, 
to care for other people, to remove obstacles for other people. And so I just want you to hear this. Over the next five weeks, we're going to double and triple and quadruple down on this understanding of what God's kingdom looks like on this earth and how we leverage our resources to actually remove obstacles in the middle of this chaos so that people can understand that they need forgiveness of their sins yeah. and respond to him. And so we get to play a part in that. That's what we're going to do yeah. for the next several weeks. Well, it looks like we've got a, a couple minutes left. Was there anything that was left out or anything that you just wanted yeah. to add here towards the end? Yeah, so uh, this is what I point out, and literally, and you mentioned it right before we got into that last soliloquy of me just talking a lot. Um, I think the crux of all this is, do you actually love him? Yeah. I mean, that's not, that's not like, that's not to be disrespectful. Right. But, like, do, do I and you, do we actually love Jesus? Like, do you love him? No, let me ask you. If you do, right this second, in your head, can you name the fruit of that? Mm-hmm. Spent more time with him? Cared for other people like he did, right? So do you love him? And if you don't, then you got, if you do, here's the next step. If you don't, you got to go one step up. And I would just argue this. Then do you know him? Because I'm convinced if you knew him, you would love him. So what are the obstacles in the way for you really, really getting to know him? So how can we help you that, right? So it starts with knowing him and then loving him. And here's what happens. Here's the fruit. So if, when you answer that question, yes, I love him. No, I don't. Well, if you don't, then can, we got to figure out how to help you know him. If you do, then I go, well, what's the fruit of that? And here's what I mean by that. Do you love people that he loves? Yeah. Do you love the people with the other signs in their front yard? Do you love the people on TV that are doing the exact opposite of what you're doing? The ones who are protesting or rioting or the ones mm-hmm. with guns or with, you know, whatever. Whatever you got on any side. Do you love him? If you do, then what is the fruit of that? And the fruit has to be, do you love people the way he does? So lots to work on, lots to be challenged by. Yeah. And so we'll keep working through it for the next several weeks. Yeah. As always, we just want to encourage you, if you have any questions about this past week or, you know, as you're listening to a message and you want to help be a part of the kind of the discussion, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at overtime at clcfamily.church. If you just have any general questions, you can email us info at clcfamily.church or text us 610-869-2140. Text us any questions that you have or if you're looking to connect on any level. Um, we really hope that this helps challenge you and grow you in your faith and your walk. As always, this is supposed to be kind of 2.0, if you will. It's part two of the message to help you go a little bit deeper. Um, pray that that is happening for you, and we're we're continuing to do this. Like we said, we're at 50 weeks. We'll continue to do this as part of our cadence. If you got questions, if you got thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. And thank you for spending some time with us. We hope you have a great week. And we hope to see you this weekend, or Sunday, not really this weekend, because. We don't have church on Saturday night anymore, just Sunday.